Hi, ever wonder what it's like to work another profession or live in the underworld? Listen to Unsuspecting Riders give a 10 to 15 minute personal masterclass as I spontaneously interview them as they enter my taxi. I'm your host, Simon Rushton, and this is Taxi Chronicles. Morning, morning, morning. Yes, we're back with another episode, another lovely rider. Today we've got Jasmine in the car. Yes, Jasmine, all the way from East London, and she's going to tell us about her career and what she does and why she got into it. So nice to have you here today, Jasmine. Nice to, nice to be here, nice to be here. So tell me, what is it that you do? Uh, so I work at Arup as an inclusive design consultant. Um, so I started there as a graduate about 18 months ago. Um, and sort of last month was promoted up to like the next grade. So I'm no longer a graduate. Um, so I really enjoy it. Um, yeah. What does an inclusive design person do? So we sort of focus on the built environment um, and we sort of make the sort of built environment more inclusive so that a range of people can use the environments that we design. So sort of considering different protective characteristics such as um, sort of disability, neurodiversity, um, race, religion, uh, sort of making sure that all of these are encompassed in the spaces that we design um, and sort of just making sure that everyone can use the spaces uh, sort of safely and equi- equitably as well. So, okay, because when, what kind of things do you have to consider? Because give us some some examples, because I'm thinking, how does race, um, what would be different for race? Because we're all human beings. No, definitely. Um, So we've been doing some work sort of recently looking at how we can make sort of cycling more inclusive and the same, we've recently started a research project looking at how we can make walking more inclusive as well. And, for example, when we look at sort of cycling, if you if you think of like a cyclist, particularly in your sort of cities and towns, you think of like a middle-aged um, sort of Caucasian man. Um, so we sort of looked at sort of underrepresented groups within um, cycling. So the people who aren't currently currently cycling to sort of find out barriers to why they're not cycling. And those five underrepresented groups were um, women, disabled people, people uh, 65 plus, people from sort of uh, Black Asian minority ethnic groups. And um, people suffering from sort of deprivation, so low socioeconomic groups, um, and it is important to sort of look at things like race and um, ethnic minority groups because if you look at sort of policymakers within the UK, there is some diversity in sort of you know like that the, um, in, in in policy making, but is not that is not the amount that is there as the sort of general population. So if you think about the people who are making policy, those policies are then used to design the spaces that we're in. Um, and if the representation isn't there from that sort of top level, then how do you expect mm. it to filter down and be sort of representative representative of the people that is actually serving? So how would you include, how would you address that issue, that concern? Um, so it's, I think the sort of baseline of what we do is making sure that you sort of understand the people that are actually going to use an environment. So we do a lot of sort of stakeholder engagement, so sort of engaging with the people that we use environments. And then from that, you can sort of bottom out and sort of find out um, sort of what their needs are, what you can do within an environment, what you can design into sort of the infrastructure to make a place um, more inclusive for people. So if you th- look at something like um, 
culture how, how do you design culture into a place so if you know that um there's going to be a high percentage of people who might may not have english as their first language you sort of use um sort of signage in your wayfinding and not just using sort of text um and things like that can help people who do have english as a first language but may not have like sort of um good sort of literacy skills um and those sort of things as well so mm. okay so you're accommodating for people who are disadvantaged and who may not um because I, I for instance i have a friend and she her boss is a very good tradesman but he's and he speaks okay english but his literacy level is not really there so you'd so with the signage that would help him yeah so if you use like say if you see it in sort of airports they always um complement everything with sort of signage but that signage is standardized across the world so no matter where you go you kind of have a gist of where the exit is where arrivals is um you know where security is because that's aided by signage so you don't actually need to understand what the words might say mm -hmm. so things like that and that's not just helping one group of people mm -hmm. so like you said you know if, if um someone who doesn't have good literacy skills um implementing that sort of sign that sort of good um inclusive signage helps them but also helps people who may not speak that language people who may have um sort of visual impairments as well so may not be able to like sort of read text as easy as someone who doesn't have visual impairments so you know uh, yeah. one one's, okay. one thing can uh, sort of help a range of different people and their needs when you were studying at university did you have this kind of profession in mind uh, i wasn't too sure so when i went to university i knew um i kind of wanted to do a course that sort of um, merge design with sort of um, human capability so the biology the sort of psychology of people but I wasn't too sure what I wanted to do when I left university um, I did like a year in industry and that was working at a pharmaceutical company so like a generics pharmaceutical company um, working on uh, the sort of usability and the human factors of their medical medical devices so things like inhalers um, in injectors that people use for like uh, delivering insulin and that sort of thing mm -hmm. um, and sort of looking at how how those could be made um, sort of user friendly and sort of all of the sort of work that needs to be done to actually get something through like the approval process with like the FDA or like the EMA um, so uh, that sort of really helped I think um, in sort of figuring out what I wanted to do next. I really enjoyed that industry um, and I sort of knew that I wanted to continue with the sort of inclusive design, sort of human factor side of things, um, but wasn't too sure what industry I wanted to do that in, which is why I sort of went to go went to work for a consultancy because you're exposed to like a range of different, different things. Starting um, from school, what was the educational route you took? be in this profession yeah cool um so i went to like a normal comprehensive school in hackney um and then did my gcse so i did a range of gcse's i did like french textiles drama and like your sciences and things like that so i did a sort of mixed match because i'm quite creative but i did like my sciences i was no good at english so completely binned that off um, when i went to do my a levels I did A-levels, I did biology, chemistry, textiles and drama and theatre studies and then I uh, knew I wanted to go to uni but I took a gap year before I went to uni and then went to uni. So pretty straightforward, yeah. Okay. 
okay, that's good. And and uni, you said the degree you did at uni was? Uh, I did, uh, so ergonomics, um, and then brackets like human factors design. So I did that up at Loughborough. If you had to do the whole studying process again, and you knew what industry you're going to go into like this one, is there a more effect, efficient route or better subjects you could have studied? So I think in the role I'm in now, um, so within my team there's a range of different experiences. So I work with people who have sort of architecture degrees, um, sort of a range of different degrees, uh, sort of anthropology. Um, what, one of our like uh, recent graduates I think actually did like bio, biomedical engineering or something like that. So there's a real range in my team. So I guess that sort of shows that your degree is important but you can sort of tailor that for your interests um, mm. and certain jobs don't require you to have a specific degree in XYZ. Um, I think I definitely would have taken the same route because I really enjoyed my uh, degree, uh, found it really interesting, um, yeah. Okay, what have you learnt overall that you wish you knew when you had started? Mm. It's a hard one. Oh, I'm not sure. Hmm. Not so much that I wish I knew when I started, but I think having a sort of year in industry or some time out in industry, like be it um, as part of like an apprenticeship or as part of your degree, or um, even as just like general work experience on like, you know, summer holidays and things like that. I think that's really um, beneficial in sort of figuring out what it is you want to do. Cause um, looking at some, like looking at like a job description or like a job on paper is not the same as actually doing it. Um, and I think there's a lot of benefit in sort of going out and doing those sort of work experiences or apprenticeships or anything like that. Um, even if you don't end up enjoying that, you know then that you don't enjoy that sort of field of work and then you can then use that to sort of do like a gap analysis of what you didn't enjoy about that, um, what you did enjoy about it and then sort of use that to tailor where you want to go next. Based on your pers yeah. personal personality. Yeah. That brings to mind this question. Would you... Um, Sorry, slipping. What's what's kind of personality or characteristics would you say someone needs to have to do your job? I think um, you need to be like. I think you need to like sort of. Oh, what's the best way to put it? Um, not so. Not try and think that you know everything that everyone wants that's so linking back to that um sort of stakeholder engagement work that i spoke about a bit earlier um it's really important to understand the needs of people um but not just from your sort of preconception sort of hearing it firsthand from those users i think is really important um and i think that is sort of the the baseline of everything that we do um, really just wanting to improve things for people as well uh, I know it sounds really cheesy but it is about making things sort of easier for people and um, helping people uh, be able to sort of navigate spaces feel comfortable in spaces and if we like look around us like infrastructure the built environment is it, it's such a big part of like you know cities and towns uh, everything that we do you're sort of interacting with something built mm -hmm. and if you can't access those sort of facilities then you're very excluded from society 
um, and in terms of sort of quality of life as well. So it's all, all of these little things may not seem like seem like much when you're sort of looking at a drawing and asking architects to change things and make it more inclusive. But in the grand scheme of things, it can like really improve someone's quality of life and their sort of access to facilities as well. Mm-hmm. So you need to be a people person. Yeah, well. yeah, no, definitely. And not offend people because if you're asking an architect, from my experience, to change things, they can take that as a yeah. real um, slight to say their work is not good enough. No, definitely. So I think it's all about how you word things. Um, so we look at like a lot of sort of codes and like regulations in the work that we do, but we always try to push for like sort of best practice as well. Um, so going sort of above and beyond uh, code requirements. And there are like, um, that can be quite difficult because some people will be like, well, why do you have to go above and beyond code? Code is like the minimum requirement. Why can't we just go with that? But um, we sort of look at how um, people- reputation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's not just not just that, I think. I think it's more as in like, code is, is great and stuff, but they're forever changing and people are forever changing. So if you can go above and beyond that, you're making this space sort of better for people and it also helps future-proof things as well so if you know that like for example body sizes are changing um and generally like increasing then then going to code for sort of uh, spatial requirements is great but in 10 years time 20 years time that that spatial requirement may not be suitable anymore given the changes in people sizes like plane seats and uh, yeah 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 i I, I know this Okay. Last question. You've been a great guest. Is what's the impact we want to have in the world? That's a big question. I think so. Even outside of work, like before I got into this field of work, I've always wanted to just again cheesy, but like make the world a bit of a better place, help people. So I did a lot of volunteering growing up. I still volunteer so I do a lot of stuff in um, sort of social mobility for uh, sort of students who are sort of now figuring out what it is they want to do next and may not have um, sort of a parent who's been to university or like the sort of facilities around them to uh, speak to someone in like a sort of professional capacity uh, firsthand Um, and that is something that I found really useful when I was in school. Um, so it's sort of ma- making things a bit easier for people, showing people that there are sort of options out there. Um, and I think I think that's become like sort of bigger, bigger recently as well, where like you see more and more people going down the sort of apprenticeship route um, and not just and then like sort of awareness that a degree is not the only way that you can get to where you want to be. Um, and yeah, so it's sort of making the place, making the world a better place, sort of helping others out um and sort of giving back to like the community i think that's a really big one um i know like in the last in the last or five years with like brexit and so many other things going on like i think there has been like a sort of some people have sort of felt that community is not really there the community spirit's not really there um but i think by giving back you know that really helps instill that sort of community spirit and getting people together um because at the end of the day, we've all got to live together. So, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, thanks a lot for that. And we wish you well. Thank you. We hope you liked that interview. 
Don't forget to like, share and subscribe to get the latest daily episode. Ever considered investing in the continent with the fastest growing economy and population on Earth? The same continent that holds 30% of the world's known natural resources? Then listen to our sister podcast, Africa Investor Stories, where you will hear real investors with real stories from around the world share their experience of investing in Africa. We post Monday and Thursday at 10am.